Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Give credit where credit is due. About seven or eight months ago, I picked up a CD set from one of my uh, colleagues. His name is Ron Carpenter Jr. He's a preaching machine. I ain't even going to say I can preach it halfway the way he's going to preach it. But I stole about 90% of this, this series from him. I'm going to wrap it in Steve Ely, but I stole it from him. Uh, Woody and I got it, and we started listening to it, and we listened to the whole thing, and then we put it aside, and we talked, well, we might want to do something about that later. And we never got back to it, and then I felt like the Spirit said, get into this stuff. And here's why. When we listened to his CD, you, you can go look him up on the Internet. His daddy and mama sitting right back there, and I know they're proud. But uh, his church is just unbelievable. Uh, I don't even know where. I, last time I heard they were running about 13,000. I don't know if that's right. Probably bigger than that now. Um, but he preached a series called In the House. In 2006, they were already 15 years old. And he talked about, I had to go back and undo some stuff that I did in the early part of our existence. I think if he had it to do over again, I don't want to speak for him, but I think he would probably preach this series earlier on so they would understand what they were trying to build and not have to redo it. And so in that way, I'm very thankful that we're starting it now because we're only two years old. At the same time, I do know there are two kinds of words in, 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 when we're dealing with God's word. There are harsh words. There are words that the Bible says that Scripture is like a double-edged sword. It cuts us asunder. It rips us apart, right? Those are harsh words that correct us. But there is a second kind of word that's called a hard word. And what we're going to start dealing with over the next few weeks, Woody's going to help me, um, we're going to deal with some hard words. What do you mean by hard? I mean, even I am struggling trying to wrap. I don't even know if I completely understand everything that we're going to talk about. I'm trying to wrap my own mind and my own experience and my own uh, walk with God into this because some of the stuff we're going to talk about I haven't ever seen in the natural. I've never seen it happen. I've, I've been in, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five churches. I've been a part of five churches since I was a kid, and I've never seen what we're going to talk about. I want to see it, and I believe we're on the right, right track and on the right course if we can get all, all on the same page. So permission for God to speak freely and say what he wants to say. Amen. So this isn't going to be a shout message, I promise. This might be an old me message, but I want you to listen. Turn, if you will, into Psalms chapter 127, verse 1. I want to read a very uh, familiar portion of Scripture in a couple versions, King James and in the message. It says this, it says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. In the message Bible, I like it. It says, If God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. Then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, it says this. That's plain enough, isn't, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using all of us, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at 
home. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 in the NIV says this. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Y'all read. Don't go to sleep on me now. You praised hard. Stay with me. Into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I've discovered something. As Christians, we have our own language. It's called Christianese. Uh, for instance, when somebody that doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior comes into our church, a lot of times we'll go, have you been saved? And they go, saved? Saved from what? What, what are you talking about? Am I saved? Or, or we like this one, uh, are, have you been found? And they go, I didn't know I was lost. What are you talking about? How does that compute? Or here's the probably the pinnacle of Christianese. Have you been washed in the blood? I knew you guys were weird. That What are you talking about? Washing? That's kind of gross, man. Washed in the blood? What does that mean? We use terms they don't understand. That is also true when we begin to talk about church. When we say the word church, we use different terms. For instance, one of the words that we like to use is kingdom. And we don't quite understand the concepts of the kingdom. We're going to talk about that some over the course of this series. And that is one very appropriate term for church is kingdom. Another one that we use, and a lot of times people understand it a little bit better, but we're not sure we quite get it either, is body. We're a body. Christ is the head and we're the body. And we try to figure that out. But probably the most appropriate term that we could use is the word house. God is building and establishing himself a house. And I need to make this very clear before we go any further in this series or even any further this morning that when I say a house and I talk about church as a house, I am not talking about 6220 Northwest Expressway. I am not talking about a physical building made out of brick, made out of concrete, made out of carpet, made out of lights, made out of insulation. I am not talking about a physical building. This is not God's house. We're God's house. Because in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, the Bible says that even though God used to dwell in a physical tent, a tabernacle, in Solomon's tabernacle, he no longer lives in houses built or established by man's hand. Instead, according to what I read to you out of Ephesians and out of 1 Peter, we, those of us that are joined together, those of us that are knit together, those that God is placing together, you didn't know it, but you're just a brick. Uh, God is taking you as a stone, a brick, and he's placing us together, and he is establishing himself for us a house. And so what that means is it doesn't matter how much gold we place around here. It doesn't matter how much marble we lay on the floor or put on the counters. It doesn't matter how elaborate or ornate we could hang up stained glass windows all around this building. That does not make this place the house of God. That's why I don't get caught up in carpet color, although I like our carpet color. That's why I don't care what color the chairs are, although I kind of like the colors of our chair. I, it doesn't bother me if you paint the walls black. It doesn't bother me because this is not the house of God. We're the house of God. Don't come complain to me about the volume because that's not church. Church is us. Don't come complain to me about the color of the skin of the person sitting next to you because we're in this together. We are a house. And we don't get to build the house the way we want it, or we build it in vain. I don't want to build it in vain. 
I don't want to go through all the struggle and all the, the pain and all the sacrifice and all the hard work of building, quote, a church only to discover at the in the end that we built it with our own hands and we built it the way that it satisfies us and God isn't living there. Because I got news for you, God is not obligated to live in a place that he has not built for himself. You go back, I don't have time. You go back in the Old Testament and you read when Moses was building the tabernacle, the Bible said over and over and over again that he built it exactly as God commanded. And then when he finished building it, the glory filled the house. Then you go read about Solomon's tabernacle, and the Bible says that he built it exactly as God commanded. If God said, make that piece of wood four foot two inches long, he didn't build it four foot one inch long. He made it exactly four inches, two inches, four foot two inches long because he knew that that he had to build it according to God's plan. And the Bible says on the day that they dedicated the temple, because he had built it exactly like God said to build it, that on that day the glory filled the temple so strongly that the, the priests couldn't even stand up to preach or to pray. They had to just stand back in awe. And what I am saying to you this morning is I want to see a house filled with the glory of God. I want to see the kind of house that we've never seen before. I've never been a part of a house where people drive by and cancer fell off. I've never been in a house before where people in need walk by and suddenly the windows of heaven are opened up in their life. I've never been in a house where all of the, all the illnesses are healed and diseases are broken and generational curses are broken. I've never seen that happen before, but I believe it can happen if we would allow him to establish and build his house. That's what I want to see built. And so we have to cooperate because the reality is this morning is that it is our obedience, our ability to allow him to join us together, to fit us together, to conform us and shape us into his dwelling place. It is determined, our obedience determines how and what God will do in us, whether or not God settles for a shack or a palace. He's God. I, I don't tell you, can I let you in this one? God doesn't believe in shacking up either. And I don't want to build him a shack. He is God Almighty, and we ought to develop and build for him a palace of praise and a palace of unity and a palace of people that are hungry for his glory. We have that obligation. We've got to do that or we build in vain. I've discovered something, though. I've discovered that every natural house operates differently. We all have different modes and systems and structures and orders and the way we do house. Like for instance, if, if you grew up in a house where whatever daddy said was law, how many of you grew up in that house? Whatever dad said, yeah, about five or six of us. You know that's a patriarchal system, right? Daddy controls. Then there's another kind. There's, a, there's the kind of house that mama's in charge. Uh, uh, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, and whatever mama says goes, and, and we all do what mama says. How many of you grew up in that house? That's a matriarchal system, right? Then, then there's this, uh, the, the, the system of having a house where the kids are in control. Have you ever seen one of those houses? That's called a jacked-up system. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, you're slow, but you're worth waiting on, all right? Because we don't want to live in that house, all right? But every house has systems and rules. Like in my house when I was growing up, there was this system in place, and it was this. You're always early to everything, at least 20 minutes or you're late. That was a system we operated on. My mama would always, she'd be in the car waiting on us, going, come on, get in the car, we're going to be late. We would get there 20 minutes early. That was just the system of the house. Anybody else? Yeah, well, you got to know. See, if you don't know the systems of the house, you can get yourself in trouble. 
if you don't know what structure and what order that a house has, you can find yourself in a bad situation. Like, I didn't know the house rules at my own house one time. Because I, I don't remember what I did, but I got in trouble. And I don't know what the system of your house was, but the system of my house was, if I got in trouble, I got spanked with a belt. Now, I ain't not, I, I know, in, you know Dr. Spock said you ain't supposed to spank, but my daddy believed in spanking. And he would get the belt out and spank me. I didn't understand the system of the house because one time I only did it once because I am, I am living proof that God brings the dead back to life. Because I'm leaned over the bed and he rears back with his belt to spank me. I probably deserved it. And at that moment after he spanked me, I turned and raised my hand as if I was going to hit him back. Don't look at me like that. He wasn't abusing me. I just discovered that if you raise your hand as if you're going to strike my parents back, that's like a death warrant right there. That was the system of my house. If you don't know the systems of a house, you will get yourself in trouble. And so I believe that what, what we discovered is that God understood that if he didn't give us very explicit and precise instructions about how he wanted his house to be established, that we would treat his house like our house and build his house, like our house, and make ourselves comfortable whether, rather than being worried about whether God was comfortable or not. I'm preaching real good right now. That's how we choose church, isn't it? I go somewhere that makes me comfortable. If they'll sing my songs and dance my dance and look like me and act like me and smell like me and praise when I praise and cry when I cry, then I'll choose that church because it makes me comfortable. I don't want you to be comfortable. I, in fact, every week I am trying to make you as uncomfortable as I humanly possibly can make you where you understand that you're not in your house, you're in his house. And he's in charge. In order for us to fit into and be productive in his house, we've got to understand the house rules. So every house has a mode of operation. Every house has a, stru a structure or a system. Now hold on to your seatbelts. Get them. Come on, do this with me. Take your arm like this, your right arm. Pull it out. Tighten it up real good. Tighten it across your waist and buckle in because it's getting ready to get real uncomfortable because I'm getting ready to cuss in church. Are you all ready? Just hold on. I know you never heard a preacher cuss in church, but I'm getting ready to because the system and the mode of operation, the guiding principle of God's house is this, authority. I know that's a four-letter word, and I just cussed in church. See, because most of us have, that—that that is in a nutshell where we come up against this problem when we start talking about God's house. Because the reality is, us, is that most of us have never seen a house or a church filled with God's perpetual glory because we cannot stomach the concept of authority. Real quiet in here this morning. I knew I wasn't going to get very many shouts, so I'm just going to tell you how it is. In fact, some of you this morning, the moment I mentioned the word authority, something happened on the inside of you. Your sphincter muscle, y'all go look that one up. Tighten up. Your hiney cheeks just went. Because something about us, I know I said hiney cheeks right in church. Something about us cannot stand the concept of authority. And there's two reasons why. Can I, can I help you? There's two reasons why we don't like the concept of authority. Number one, most of us have seen authority abused. 
It doesn't matter if we have to go back, for those of us that are a little older, and look back at the Jim Joneses that we watched on TV that had complete control and authority over people to the place that they were even willing to commit suicide. Or maybe for some of you younger folks and a little more uh, contemporary, David Koresh. Or maybe it was a local church pastor that you sat under that misunderstood this concept or abused this concept of authority. And we've watched shepherds. There's this shepherding movement that went around a few years ago that would say to you, if you're going to come be a part of our house, you got to let me tell you everything you're supposed to do when you get up in the morning you need to call me and see if you're if you're allowed to wear the blue shirt when I would rather you wear the orange shirt that's not the kind of authority I'm talking about I'm not talking about the crazy stuff I've heard of some crazy stuff like uh, a married couple sitting here and a married couple sitting here and somebody would walk up and say they had authority and they would say the word of the Lord spoke to me and said y'all are married to the wrong people y'all need to get divorced and they would go out and get divorced and then switch partners that's ludicrousy that's nuts That's not what I'm talking about. But some of us have seen that happen to the point that what we do now is we come into God's house, and I'm not talking about a building. We come into God's house, and we don't trust any leaders further than we can throw them. It doesn't matter if they're a man of God and they glow in the dark. It doesn't matter if it's a woman of God and they glow in the dark. We wouldn't trust them further than we could throw them because we have seen authority abused. The second reason that we resist authority is is because uh, we try to operate the supernatural like the natural. Let me explain for just a moment. Uh, how many of you in this place are Americans and glad to be so? I'm glad to be an American. I'm glad that God has allowed me to live here. I visited other places, and I'm going to tell you there ain't no place like home. I, I, I enjoy being an American. However, the issue for us is that because we're Americans, we believe that we deserve our rights, our independence, and our wants, and our privileges, and nobody can tell us what to do. I know that's just the way we've been taught. And that makes for great government, but very poor church. Because God's kingdom, God's house, is not a democracy. God's house is a theocracy. Whatever daddy says goes. And therefore, because we bring the mentality of an American into the church and we think we deserve our rights and our privileges and our own wants, we have issues with authority. Well, y'all are quiet this morning. I knew knew coming in it was going to be quiet, but that's all right. See, we resist authority, and when we resist authority... We miss blessings. That's the crux of the matter right there. If you want to be blessed, you got to understand the house rules. See, we, we, I got some bad news for you this morning. We were taught wrong. I was taught growing up, I, I don't remember what grade I was in, but I remember in, in grade school, somebody, a teacher, stood up and said, we should question everything. And they went on and said, you should always question authority. That's the wrong lesson. The lesson, they forgot three important words. The lesson should have been, you should question who's in authority. Because the reality this morning is that we're all governed, and all of us have something or someone in authority over our lives, whether we like it or not. You can talk about, I'm a man, and nobody can tell me what to do, and nobody's my boss, and I get my own way, and I don't answer to nobody, because that's what we do. We want to quote that verse of Scripture that says, let every man work out his salvation in fear and trembling, so I can do anything I want to do. Don't you come tell me what to do. But we are all governed by somebody or something. 
For some of you, you're governed by your anger. You can't go through a whole day without losing your temper, and your temper governs you. For some of you, it's your past. You can't live today because of what happened to you yesterday. For some of you, it's your pain. The pain that you experience, God wants to do things in you now, but you're governed so dramatically by your past and your pain that you can't live today. For some of you, it's your emotions. You wear your emotions on your sleeves. For some of you, it's your inferiority complex, and because your inferiority complex governs you as a man, you can't go a day without having a woman on your arm, and as a woman, you can't go a day without having a man on your arm because i got to have somebody, and you're governed. And so I've just decided this. The Bible says that there is a way that appears right unto a man, but in the end, y'all know this verse of Scripture, it leads to destruction. And so I've discovered that I would much rather have God as my authority and I would rather come under his rule and reign and that's a much better place to live than to live in a, uh, under dominion and authority to my past or my pain or to money or to my emotions or to somebody because those things are harsh taskmasters but God. Oh, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so I would rather live under his authority. So I just want to challenge you over the next few weeks to stop thinking like an American for just a few weeks and start thinking like a member of the house instead and understanding the mode and the operation. See, I'm convinced that too many of us go through our Christian life cursed. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. We call ourselves blessed. But the dilemma is, is that we've never seen anybody really blessed. Because when we asked, asked Jesus into our life, we became saved, but we didn't make him Lord and didn't give him authority and kingship over our life. And so at that moment, when we, we failed to submit and bow our knee and make him Lord, at that moment, we become cursed. And God says, you know what, I want to give you life and life more abundantly, and we just settle for life. Because we've never seen anyone blessed. Let me help you understand the house rules. I don't have time this morning, but I want you to go back on your own and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, 28 and discover that God's house operates on a series of commands and blessings. He says, do this, and if you do it, guess what? You get blessed. That's good news. But there's an opposite end, too. You do know that every command comes with a curse. Because he teaches us there that if you don't do what he says to do, you find yourself cursed. Mary in the New Testament understood authority. She looks at some servants, and uh, you, you remember the story. They were, Jesus has shown up at a marriage uh, celebration, and they run out of wine. And Mary sees Jesus, and she commands the servants, go and fill up the water pots and do what he says to do without question. Whatever he says to do, go do it, period. Isn't that what she said? And what did hap what happened? They went, filled up the water pots, and instantly water turns into wine. The problem with that is that we don't understand authority. What we would have done is we would have begun to negotiate. Jesus, don't you understand that water's heavy, dude? Okay, look at these honking pots. You expect me to fill that up to the brim and put that on my head and carry I would have to go to the chiropractor for four months if I do that. Let's. I got a better deal. Jesus, I've figured this thing out. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to fill the water pots halfway. Go, go get the water halfway. Bring them. You turn them into wine. Then what we'll do this... I'm thinking here, Jesus, I'm, I, man, this is awesome. Think about this. I know you never... This mm, Good thought here. Take that pot, pour it into the other one. 
you got a full pot of wine. I, and then I got in I go get another half, and I'll bring it back, and it'll be easier. And we try to negotiate when it was a command. We think it's suggestions. Can I prove that to you out of Luke chapter 14? Jesus tells a parable about a master who's throwing a party, a banquet. He, he goes through all the efforts of preparing this spread, this huge banquet, and then he sends out, we call it an invitation. I think that's the wrong term because he, he, he contacts his friends and his special guests, and he gives them this word. It's a command. It's not an invitation. Come and dine, period. It did not read Come and dine if you don't have anything else to do. If you would just try to think about it, if, you, if you're just in the area, why don't you just stop by later and spend a little. We could hang out tonight if you don't have anything else to do. Could you just spend me a little. Come on, guys, please. No, it's come and dine, period. And what we've discovered is that we want to build God's house our way. And then we live cursed. And we're, ooh, I almost said we're too dumb but too unenlightened to understand that we could live blessed if we would just obey. Uh, you say, well, Steve, what are you talking about? Well, let me give you some, oh, this is going to get harsh. Maybe I'm slipping out of a harsh word in, or a hard word into a harsh word. Let me just give you some real practical application, and then we'll be done. For instance, we are commanded to tithe. I heard the sphincter muscles all over the building <laughs> tightened up on me. That's a command. And yet what we do is we like to tip. We budget God in. Boy, I, God, you just don't understand. I've figured out my whole budget, and I've only got 8% for you this month. I know you're God, so you'll probably be all right with that. And the Bible declares that, that you hold the key to heaven. Do you understand that you in your possession have the ability to unlock and open the windows of heaven and you could be poured out a blessing that you cannot contain based on your, that T word, tithe. Y'all looking at me like I said that. I didn't say it. God said it. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Oh, God, you don't understand. Uh, things are tight this month. Oh, you don't understand. I've been saving up for that boat. Once I get the boat, then I'll tithe. No, 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 no. It is a command. We just don't understand the house rules. We're commanded to assemble together. Smile at me for a second because I'm getting ready to get mean. Okay. All right, you can quit smiling now. We're commanded to assemble together. But you know what? We'll go weeks Miss for weeks and never even think about it. Well, Steve, you don't understand. I stayed up late on Saturday night. Oh, well, where do you find that? Hebrew, Hebrew says don't forsake this. Maybe it's in James where it says if you had a tough Saturday night, you're allowed to sleep in six times a year. I'm not, now listen, I'm not talking about vacation days. I understand. I, I'm just saying that it says, man, when, when I miss church, I get nervous. You ought to be nervous if you're missing church because you are outside and out from under the authority of God. And when you're outside and out from under the authority of God, guess what? Cursings. Steve, you don't understand. If I don't stay home today, I'll miss the Vikings play. And Brett Favre, man, come on, Brett Favre. He's 65 years old and he's going to throw his 30,000th touchdown. And I'll miss that. Buy yourself a DVR. Because that's a command. 
I'm concerned we're teaching our kids to miss heaven because we sleep in. We're commanded to think on pure things, godly things, holy things. Forgot about that one, didn't you? Because what we'll do is we'll go watch any filth, pay a high price to do it, and then wonder why our minds are all messed up all week long. We don't understand house rules. We're commanded not to be yoked to unbelievers, and, y'all don't not, and yet not only will we date them, we'll marry them. And, and we'll become best bosom buddies with them, and we'll, we'll become soul-tied to them. And then wonder why our lives are marked in turmoil and in a constant state of d- distress because we don't understand authority. It was not an option just because they're cute. Well, they look good in those jeans. God will understand. Somebody needs to get your cell phone out right now and delete somebody's number. Because they don't come up to the authority level that God is supposed to have in our lives. We're commanded to live at peace with everyone and to avoid sowing discord among the brethren. And yet we'll talk about one another and we'll blacklist one another and we'll hurt one another and we'll never correct it. And then we wonder why we're not blessed. We don't understand authority. We're commanded to submit to governing authorities but we'll cheat on our taxes and we'll steal time from our employers and we'll disobey our parents and we'll disobey our teachers and our bosses and then we'll go, why, why am I, why am I, God, why, bless me. No. We're commanded to acknowledge God in all of our ways and yet we will make major decisions without ever even consulting him. We'll choose a job or career and never say, God, is this your place for me? But you don't understand, God, they play, they play, Pay $28 an hour, but is it his place for you? I'll just accept it and pray about it later, and God will come along and bless me because I, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. We, we will date the first guy that pays us attention, or we'll, we'll cuddle up with the first woman that gives us the time of day and, and never even stop to ask God, is this okay? Well, they're Christians, that makes it okay. No, 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 no. We got to pray and ask God about this stuff. Here, here's the one that gets me. We'll go into debt. I'm being mean today. We'll get that credit card out. I need this pair of jeans. I need this car. I need this house. I need this watch. I need this steak. And we'll lay it out there. And then what we do is when we get, we'll come to church and we begin to cry, Oh, God, you got to help me. They're going to take everything I own. Bless me. You said you, said you were Jehovah Jireh. You're supposed to be my provider, God. Where are you at? And then we ask God to bless our stupidity. We never prayed about what car to buy. We never prayed about what clothes to buy. We never prayed about what house to get. We didn't pray about none of that stuff, and we expect God to come and bail us out. And he does sometimes just because he's gracious, but he's not obligated. We just don't understand authority. Stop just a moment, if you will. I want you over the course of this week to stop and ask yourself this question. Have I checked with God on any of this stuff? Or am I just living my life asking him to come and bless me? 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness means, the definition of the word means lack of obedience. The Bible very clearly says that if a man knows to do right and does not do it to him, that is sin. Lack of obedience. And so here's the word that I felt like the Lord gave me for you. Listen closely. It is this. Our level of blessing is directly connected to our level of obedience. 
You want to be blessed big? Obey big. Your blessings will increase as your obedience increases and vice versa. If you fail to obey, you will find yourself living under a curse. God is obligated to curse disobedience and he's obligated to bless obedience because he is bound by his word which says if you obey, you're blessed. And if you disobey, you are cursed. He is obligated to honor his word. We fail to realize that authority doesn't harm us, it protects us. Being under God's authority keeps us out of a dead-end job. Being under God's authority keeps us from winding up in a miserable marriage. I'm helping somebody right now. I, you won't need marriage counseling as if your marriage is going to fall apart if you would just obey and marry the right person to begin with. I interrupt this message for an announcement. Write it down on your calendar. January 8th and 9th, we're doing a marriage and relations conference right here at this church because we want you to have the best of life. But I'm going to tell you that you need to be praying about this stuff. Authority protects us. Authority will produce financial freedom in your life. See, here, here's the bottom line, and then I'm going to be done. I'm going to read a couple of verses of Scripture. I'm going to be done. But here's the bottom line. I am convinced that most of us are de- most of us desperately want Jesus to take authority over our sins. We want him to take authority over our eternal life. We just don't want to relinquish control and authority of our daily life. Jesus is nothing more than fire insurance for us. He's supposed to be Lord. I know most of you under the sound of my voice know him as savior, but do you know him as Lord? There's a huge difference. So my question to you this morning is this. If your life is marked by chaos, if your life is marked by pain, if your life is marked by distress, if there's constant turmoil and unrest and brokenness, could it be that you're living outside his authority? Because authority will not steal your freedom and it will not steal your joy. In fact, let me prove it to you, and then I'm done. Psalms chapter one, or Psalms chapter nineteen, verse seven: The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? It restores our soul. And then in James chapter one, verse twenty-five: But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. God's teaching us that authority restores our soul and causes us to be blessed. Hear me this morning. You cannot plead the promises if you're not willing to live by the principles. The Bible is full, chock full of promises. But you can come in here and plead every one of them. Oh, God, be my provider. Oh, God, be my healer. Oh, God, be my peace. Oh, God, do all this stuff for me. And if you're living in disobedience, he is not obligated to live in a house that he has not built for himself. In fact, can I get real blunt with you? I'll pray for you when you want me to. You come up and ask me to pray for you, I'm going to pray for you. But I can't out-pray your disobedience. 
You can come up here all day long and say, Pastor, you got to pray for me, man. I'm about to go under. The debt collectors are calling me on the phone, all this stuff. And if I look at you and I pray every prayer I know and say, God, come on, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen them begging for bread. I can quote every prosperity scripture known to mankind. And if I get to the root and the bottom line is you're not tithing, I'm building the house in vain. Oh, Steve, you got to pray for me. My marriage is in shambles. It looks like we're going to get a divorce. It's all messed up. Well, then I find out that the person you married didn't know Jesus and still doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to pray for God's mercy for you. And I believe God can do a miracle. But he's not obligated because you didn't play by house rules. Hard word. Here's my challenge this week. As we go into this series, we're going to mess we're going to jack with your idea, church. You're going to have to rethink a little bit. I'm telling you, I don't want you to call me and ask me what color shirt to wear in the morning. I don't want that kind of authority over your life. But I do want you to live under authority and understand that when you're under authority, you can be blessed. Anybody want to be blessed in here? That's what I, can I be honest with you? I've never seen a house. I've never been a part of a house like that. Never. I'm determined we're going to be that kind of house. That we're going to allow God to unify us and get us in lockstep with him. And when we live by his rules, then we will, we will benefit from the blessings of God because we understood the house rules. If you want to be blessed, you want the blessings of God on your life, I want you to stand to your feet quickly. And I'm going to bless you and let you go. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.